Uh-uh. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Stop that now. I can't hear you. I'm a robot. Come on, knock it off. Does not compute. Ooh. And he's coming to you. Right here. Right now. Pronto. And all that other can of rot. He is no superstition. Why don't I get a shovel from the yard so I can fertilize it with all this crap? He is the genuine real deal. You're really going to be abnormal after this show. You know... I never realized how smooth the skin between your acne is. So I'm just trying to get a rise out of you, that's so. It's an outrage! And he always uses his gender-assigned restroom. Ladies and gentlemen, however you choose to identify, here he is on Sky Blue Radio. It's J.T. All right, folks, it's JT here. Skyblue Radio sounds absolutely great at any altitude. How's everybody doing tonight? Good, I hope. I got some good stuff for you tonight. I got my great friend, Anthony Santa Nastesso. I butchered that, I'm sure. He'll correct me, I'm sure. <laughs> and then Serge from the Pilot Club is here as well. So uh, stick around there. Here we go. USA, uh, and we have about uh, maybe 120 real-life pilots as well in the club. We share our passion for aviation by doing group flights uh, on the VATSIM network, and our goal is simple, is to engage in a meaningful and helpful discussion about you know, flight sim topics uh, and where we can learn from each other and share our experiences, essentially. Uh, we are a proud member of the flight sim community and an official VATSIM partner. Uh, we're yes. also partners with uh, VATUSA as well. And uh, as far as our membership, our members are flight sim aviators of all skill levels, um, uh, as well as real-world pilots, as I've mentioned, both private and commercial. Um, we have a, a few ATP guys in the club as well, and like I said, the air traffic controllers from VATSIM. So nice. uh, what we do is uh, about 20 uh, group flights mm -hmm. on VATSIM per month, so a pretty heavy schedule. We have a uh, flight operations team that handles all the coordination with VATSIM and 
uh, to make sure that uh, we have sufficient coverage for these flights. That's good. And yeah, so and uh, and I mean that relationship has been fantastic, uh, being a partner, and really uh, it allows our members to enjoy the network. Uh, and one thing I will say, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we're going to hit this topic uh, later on, is the pilot proficiency uh, on the network. Uh, we do have a flight school in, nice. in-house uh, with a, um, a PPL course right now, and we're going to have P2, P3, P4 coming out. So it correlates to the VATSIM P ratings. Uh, we're actually an ATO as well. So... Uh, we provide that level of training for new members coming in the club who are maybe new to flight sim or new to VAT sim and ATC communications. They have a, uh, a legitimate and solid path to take to become more proficient and better on the network. And that's our goal, uh, essentially, as well, to, to have pilots, uh, you know, do the right thing on the network and fly. That never as, happens. As they should, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the pilots never do the right thing on the network, well, right, Anthony? <laughs> yeah, Pilot Club Six go around. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, guys, sorry about the technical issues, but I think we got it figured out now. Uh, Anthony, uh, I'm going to introduce you again here, bud. So uh, he's been a member of Vatsim since uh, about 2003. Started at Kansas City Center and eventually ended up at New York. And any of you guys that fly online up around the New York area, uh, you rec- you'll recognize his voice. And uh, he's done a lot of stuff. Training administrator, deputy air traffic manager, uh, deputy training director, training director, and, of course, is now is the boss as VATUSA1, the division director. He's a real-world private pilot and uh, all kinds of stuff. So that's really cool. And Anthony and I really go way back uh, in time because I'm kind of dating myself here. What was it, 2000? 2003, 2006. Is that right? Yeah, well, I I joined you in 2006. Jason Sutton was your training administrator or training uh, director, and I had come on board with uh, the specific task of creating the first iteration of a training academy. That's right. I remember, Jason. That's that's right. That's right. You did start the uh, VAT USA uh, training academy, which uh, was incredible back then. I just so impressed by your work by that and i'm not trying to suck up or anything but you really did a great job you can do it's, it. keep, it, keep going <laughs> no, is the uh is the academy the same now as it was <laughs> no, back in 2006 so the academy lasted uh, a whopping 365 days and the reason why it didn't last longer than a year was because we were heavily reliant upon volunteer hours uh people to teach synchronously at the same time uh having group classes i mean i went so far as and and if the timeline worked out that i had just i was just out of college so the 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 educational textbook mindset was still there and we had created coursework and each week we would come up with when these courses were being advertised and we had to try and arrange teacher schedules um it we were we were turning a leaf in terms of the way teaching on the network was really going to be more effective and just starting to get into the whole idea of a computer-based training technique or cbt so we were we were not that quite there yet we didn't have that knowledge that infrastructure mm-hmm. and that initiative from the get-go we were more or less like all right well, we're going to treat this like we've done training since 2001 and that is 
person to person and make it a very personal experience. And it was very effective for the few that went through that that one year. Yep. But toward, toward the end, it became unsustainable because there it was too demanding on hours. It was too demanding on people to have to contribute time beyond their own facilities where they had their own uh, students to have to work with. And it just it just kind of fell apart. When you fast forward to a couple of years ago when I had the fortune of being hired by Manny and um, Meg Brock and I took charge of the training uh, department, we decided to, to develop an academy that and this is kind of like my own personal vendetta. I was always very disappointed with myself for not really hitting the ball out of the park completely because it wasn't really sustainable back when. So well, you I did. was determined. You did hit it out of the park. Well, it, you're wrong. But it wasn't sustainable. That's the problem. It okay, wasn't yeah. sustainable, and it wasn't. It wasn't able to be modified in its form to to adjust with time. Mm-hmm. And so this time around, it was like a personal vendetta I had against the idea, and I said, "Well, I have to try and figure out a way." And fortunately, with the brilliance of Meg, the two of us figured out a way to develop a system that would be sustainable because it didn't really require the use of uh, people, except for obviously the initial startup, and I'll get to that in a second. The sustaining of it really is it's a matter of your own personal experience of a student. It's all asynchronous, and we really sourced upon legitimate foundational educational concepts to create it. And utilize the Moodle system, which is a learning management system or LMS that is used wildly throughout all different facets of education yeah. uh, to frame something that was sustainable and could grow in the future. You know, it still has its growing pains, and we're still actually, ironically, in need of a person-to-person element that is something that we're continuously talking about as a training department. But I'm always very guarded about how to proceed forward because I want to safeguard getting too reliant upon other bodies to be shared from other facilities because I, I can't rely on a system that will not be sustainable. So I want to always come up with an idea that moving forward will still exist 10 years down the road, which I'm hoping will. Uh, and just one note uh, I, I need to make mention, Meg and I were the ones who were initially the the head of that training department, but obviously there was a tremendous amount of support from all that USA leadership. And I think we had over 40 individuals who volunteered their time from every single facility across VAT USA to contribute to making the content in the academy. You're so right. I was extremely proud with the fact that this revamped uh, structure that we were able to offer everybody was literally, you know, uh, uh, was literally at the hand of everybody in the division. This was a division accomplishment, not a me accomplishment accomplishment on a meg only accomplishment this was the division accomplishment and i think for that reason it is as successful as it is that's awesome how much of that uh old stuff is in the new the new stuff there's actually i I, i'm almost going to say nothing and i think only because we've grown as a network and as a division since then to appease the demand of the people that we have there you go. When we were first around, JT, and even probably before me, and, and, and I know you do reach a little before me, um, back in the early days, I believe that the focus of this network was more in developing the management structure and organizational structure of the National Airspace System than it really was in, in the attention to certain details of executing it. And over the years, we find that 
the controllers are focusing on technique and procedures and application of those procedures more so, I think, than really it was ever focused on before. Uh, and to a degree, that's even more, it's just a testament to how successful it has been over the years, how serious it has become. Of course, the catch-22 there is that you have a certain demographic of people who are moving forward far beyond another, and that happened to be the pilots. And I know we're going to talk about that in a second, but uh, and, and I'm hopeful that Serge and I will have that conversation because I do have ideas that I've expressed uh, all around on ways that we can improve that and make that match. But I think it's something that will continue to evolve and we'll, we're going to have to just find a way to be able to support one another so that eventually we can find a way that each side is compatible, ultimately compatible with each other. I would agree with that. And and over the last several years uh, on the FATSIM network alone with the pilot uh, training and stuff like that has been it's been really phenomenal because if you remember the old days they we didn't have any of that stuff uh, you disconnected and you took off and and you just had fun as I can't remember what the- so I'm going to ask you a question from your perspective and this is a wild accusation I don't have any validity to this other than my assumption and, and experience from back when oh boy do you think that the beginnings of the network had a higher percentage of people who came in with some sort of background or experience in any way, shape, or form having to do with aviation? I think the original, uh, a lot of the original folks did, yes. Because, you know, the Board of Governors came out. There was Mike Hayden. He was a Jacksonville uh, air traffic controller. Harv was an Air Canada pilot and uh, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. I, th- I think it's different than it is now, that's for sure. And, and I think why we've had to adapt and kind of adhere more towards the educational arena is for the mere fact that we have so many more people that are enthusiastic and passionate about getting involved in a community where they feel a connection with, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily have any background. And now our objective has become more or less, I should say, of... Well, you're already familiar with X, Y, and Z. We're just going to teach you ABC. Now it's our, well, we need to teach you ABC all the way through X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. And the approach in having to do that had to change. And that's where I, I, I believe we were able to have our success because of the educational background. Because we understood, especially from myself in, in a music education background, what it's like to take somebody who's never played an instrument before to eventually being able to perform in a concert. Yeah. Do you still play an instrument? Or you I just... do. Trumpet is my primary. Trumpet. Nice. Okay, cool. Yep. All right. Well, um, I was just looking at the VATUSA Training Academy page, and uh, you guys can, if you're a member of VATUSA, of course, you can log into their website at VATUSA.net, and you can look at some of this stuff. Uh, some of the courses in there are like uh, training orientation, the ATC basics, Clearance, ground, local, approach, and route, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's some stuff in there for uh, controller uh, programs like uh, VRC, VSTARS, VRAM, stuff like that. It's it's really it's really done very nice. It's very clean. So that's pretty cool. Do you, um, how do you guys simulate traffic for for the uh, for the new guys? So all that would be done through practical assessment, and that's been left up to uh, the facilities to do the manpower, mm. and that is done through Sweatbox. Okay, and that's kind of what I was hitting at because uh, you remember the old days we used to have these things called robots, and uh, yep. 
you would have to kind of uh, do a dot command to tell them to turn left, turn right, climb, descend, stuff like that. And it was really, uh, it was cool for the time, but uh, it wouldn't work now, I don't think. So. I think there's a lot of value to using Sweatbox in the training scenario. It, mm-hmm. it allows you to script. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, I mean, that's like going to tabletops or that's like going to, uh, I mean, any any of these other scenarios, literally, where you have RPOs that will work these scenarios that you're sitting and you're having to work through solving problems and they're going to introduce concepts through those type of problems as they as you get uh as you encounter them right uh i think it's invaluable i've always been someone who can see both sides of the coin i've always uh, been an advocate for real live network training and someone who admires and respects the fact that um sweatbox is a good way to get someone acclimated right up the front mm-hmm Get the, get the instructor, you know, increase or decrease the amount of traffic that that controller has. I can't remember. Yep. Oh, they can. If that they was, can. Yeah, you ask a question. Yes, they can. They can on the fly add or subtract. But generally what you do is create a, a file that is designed to have a certain capacity oh, or okay. a certain uh, curriculum involved with it. And then you execute it and then cross that off the curriculum item. Yeah, nice. Okay. Let's uh, take a quick station break. You're listening to the JT Show here on Sky Blue Radio's special guests, That USA 1 and TPC 6. Be back here in just a second. Bringing you closer to heaven than a 747. Sky Blue Radio, the official station of angels. No kidding. So we're back here on Sky Blue Radio. Sounded great at any altitude. Be sure to check out our website at skyblueradio.com. Tell all of your friends about us. Tell them to check out skyblueradio.com and while they're doing that. They can also check out uh, Anthony's site, vatusa.net, and surge at thepilotclub.org. So, uh, Anthony, tell me about uh, ZNY and your connection to the real world ZNY. So, I, I mean, I, so I, it uh-huh. began back in 2006. I started. Uh, one of my first jobs was at a, a local district and my coworker literally lived next door to a supervisor at N90. Nice. That was really my first intro because once, once the, the connection was made about my history and, 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 and interest in aviation, right. They made the connection. His name is Eddie Sosa. I met Eddie and there were several occasions where I actually met up with him at N90 and, and uh, there was one operation rain check where I actually came and spoke about VATSIM to the operator to, to everybody who came to Operation Rain Check at N90 in the conference room and wound up actually showing them what we did at ZNY and what the story was and how to utilize VATSIM for potentially gaining proficiency on the radio. And yeah. um, that started it. And then from there, and my, my real-world flying, uh, I've been connecting with people like Kennedy. I connect with people at ZNY. My, my best friend, I own Cole, my brother works at ZNY. I have my literal cousin that, li- that works at uh, Kennedy Airport. So it's... Uh, I've kind of spidered out into all the different facilities and and through there started to learn and almost have some semblance of training at each of these different facilities as I was fortunate enough to do. That's pretty cool. You know, uh, JFK Tower used to be really popular with uh, live ATC. I can't remember the guy's name. Was it Ernie? That's the air traffic controller at the tower, right? Arnie. Arnie. Maybe that's what it was. Real popular guy. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, the the one who had the uh, the memes and the and, and a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's him. 
Yeah. Arnie is actually a, a phenomenal drummer. I didn't and know that. Finished his career at Long Island Ice at MacArthur Airport before I believe he retired, but he's, yeah. he's uh, he gigs regularly on Long Island. Nice. I knew that uh, he had moved uh, out of Kennedy Tower, but I didn't know where where he went. I loved to listen to that guy. He was really funny. And then we had another guy from N ninety that uh, back when we had cassette tapes. He sent me a cassette tape of uh, him uh, getting slammed, and uh, unfortunately I can't remember his name either. But uh, but yeah. Uh, he, he, the, the, there's a lot of great characters in this region, that's for sure. Yeah, that's um, true. And, it, and I have to say that it made me really appreciate sometimes how textbook we could... This is a good point to bring up, but we, we sometimes get very textbook when it comes to the way that we execute things and, and approach things. And even from the standpoint, and I know it seems a little ironic having been the training director, but when it comes to the way that we teach our students... You know, we're teaching them very much the long division, but the short division of what is really what happens on the everyday in the actual air traffic network. So when you're flying a plane and you're working with these controllers and you're hearing about what they're going through and how they're handling situations, oftentimes a little different than what's going on in the textbook. And that kind of humbles you or humiliates you in in really realizing what it is to be there and how potentially different the the virtual network itself could be and sometimes how we're focused on so minute details that in reality is not necessarily something that would be of much concern i don't know if that makes sense yeah it does what uh what are your plans for value sa what what do you want to do i wrote a letter uh, about the day after i was uh, announced as as value sa one mm-hmm and the letter, which was rather long, but still kind of put together all my thoughts, uh, really does tell you the broad stroke uh, plan for my objective uh, uh, for us as a division. The letter, by the way, could be found through our social media. Um, there's a link that they posted that, that'll have a PDF of the actual letter if you haven't had a chance to read it. I don't know, JT, did you have a chance to read it? or? Search? Yeah, briefly. I was looking for it right now, so I was, was going to post it on our Discord channel. Yeah, I haven't That's seen great. it. I haven't seen it yet. I actually was going to ask you a question about uh, about the goals, but I'll I'll need to check it out. Yeah, it's a very broad stroke, and I'll say that really my objective, I, I have been with Vat USA and VatSim long enough to see many different ways of of leadership, and I've seen many different ways of people interacting with each other, um, and I could say this is true of. And in a general sense, non-specific to Vatsim, but it just seems like nowadays people in a virtual community tend to treat each other less like human beings and more like handles and avatars. Uh, <laughs> and my primary objective overall is that we stray away from that, that we try to be more empathetic and understanding of each other. And that comes from the perspective of, you know, this particular 13 year old controller who doesn't know anything about aviation except for what he's learning here is trying his or her best to be a control on the network just like this so-and-so individual is attempting to learn how to fly so we're going to try to be empathetic of their cause as well and and work together to understand and improve and have this collective understanding that it's okay to know that we, what we don't know. It's okay to be in a position where we need to improve, but the idea is that we will always strive to do better. And I've always come up with a phrase that I say to the kids all the time, 
<laughs> and that is uh, you, you have to strive to be better than the person you were yesterday. And you should never compare yourself to anybody else except for the person in the mirror. And really what we need to do as a, as a network is continue to wake up each day and say, well, what, what is it that we can do better today? From a pilot perspective, from an ATC perspective, from a management perspective, from the people like myself, you know, what is it that I can do better as VatUSA1 tomorrow that maybe I, you know, didn't go as well the day before? Or from a pilot perspective, all right, so I, I, I uh, was in, unable to accept a reroute because I wasn't sure about the FMC. So, you know what, my goal is that by tomorrow or reasonably so the next day or whatever it may be, I'm going to learn how to program the FMC better because this is the type of flying that I'm interested in doing. And it's that type of improvement, that type of self-awareness that needs to happen from everybody's perspective so that we can actually move forward and not have to feel like we're running our heels in the mud and not really going anywhere because there's no direction. And my biggest thing is that that needs to be there along with the human approach. And uh, when it comes from a management position, my general style has always been and will always be more of a people manager than it would be a project manager. I'm a people manager first because I believe that once you can gain the respect and mutual understanding among people, then when projects are now involved, it'll be more easily achievable. And to that extent, there's nothing specific just yet, but I can tell you right now what I am doing with from an ATC or facility perspective is I am meeting with each individual facility as well as each individual member of ZHQ, which is the VAT USA administration. And I'm, I know this is hard for everybody to understand, but I'm actually listening that I am speaking. I'm not even speaking more than a few words and, and gave them a couple prompts for them to then give me their reflections on five particular areas uh, of, of how we operate. And they'll simply tell me what their prior, what they think the priorities are, where they believe the project should be. My objective would be then at the end of September, thereabouts to come up with a top two or three uh, items that were kind of mutual around the division and present that to everybody as these are our particular goals in a priority order in each of these facets of, of how we operate, whether it be events, training, uh, support services, and so on. And then we're going to work together on trying to achieve that over, over uh, a specific period of time. And each month we're going to meet, we're going to communicate and figure out a way to either reorganize those goals put new goals up there, take goals away, reestablish or readjust uh, deadlines. But there's going to be this constant uh, communication. And I think that was the last thing I'll say that was really a summary of that letter is the two <laughs> things I value most are uh, communication and collaboration. And so those two things for sure are going to be something that we're going to be looking forward to do as a division on the whole moving forward. Yeah. Sounds great. What do you think there, Serge? think you might want to get into air draft control. Yeah, no, I'm, you know what? I'm going to stick with uh, flying, uh, but I, I do appreciate... Well, I was going to say, uh, you, we, you obviously can't fly, so maybe you can be an air traffic controller. Well, that's that's uh, that's very subjective, <laughs> JT. I mean, uh, I've got some kudos from uh, from my guys, but uh, I, I'm, I'm very glad to hear Anthony mention the things that he did because, uh, you know, we're in a time right now, I think, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and you've heard this before, certainly because of the... Um, uh, Flight Simulator 2020 coming out. We've uh, uh, increased the uh, the hobby, the the members uh, in the community tremendously. Right? We we now have so many people that are brand new to aviation, brand new to flight sim hobby, 
and uh, in large part because of Microsoft, right, coming out with this sim that's really uh, is is made for everybody, and, and people can use it in, in various ways. Um, and those folks are now filtering into the network, um, as as well as our club. And I mean, our club is part of the flight sim community, so we see that as a slice, um, you know, of essentially uh, people of all skill levels, uh, green to very seasoned, like JT. Oh man! Um, and <laughs> and the, uh, what what Anthony's what resonated with me as far as what Anthony's saying, uh, as far as the goals for the network and and the vision, is. Uh, really handling the new wave of of pilots coming in uh, and and treating them with you know like human beings. Number one, right? Um, they're they're not avatars. They're not uh, just numbers. Um, but they are they are folks who can really take advantage, perhaps, of uh, avail- available training. You know, and the pilot club is part of that big machine really with with the training that we offer with our flight school and then of course that's in itself uh, and the training uh, programs that uh, that they have but uh, it's an issue that I've seen that I see um, and I saw a couple of years ago really ramp up right with the pilot competency and things like that and and you know people were talking about different solutions to this and uh, it, it kind of became this two side uh, two sides uh, battle, you know, and I've hated to see that because, you know, I when I formed the club, I didn't look at the community as, okay, here, here are pilots, here are the controllers. We're all part of the same hobby. We're all part of the same great uh, yeah. community. So why I can't agree. we work together, right? Like, why can't we do this? Uh, so I identify the problem and then try to help those folks who, you know, ho- who are green and just got into this hobby. They're super excited about the sim, the you know, and and they want to fly and they want to do these things. And they come out, and they get slammed like big time uh, on the network. And and again, I mean, without pointing fingers and laying blame, I mean, there there are situations where you know each side could have done things better, right? But to have the tools in place, and and again, and I'm going to sound like I'm plugging the the the, the flight club here uh, or the uh, pilot club uh but the advantage of our community is we're all friends like we all know each other there are groups of folks who do ga uh, and within ga you know some people like doing bush flying some people like regular stuff we have the airliners we have biz jets everything and these mini communities within our community everybody knows each other so now you add the instructors to this element and by the way some of our instructors are uh real world cfis some of them are airline transport pilots. I mean, you have this collective knowledge, right, that we can, we can really uh, teach folks, of course, those who want to be taught. And, and I always say that, you know, as far as network competency or pilot competency on the network is we'll, we'll take care of those who want to learn. It's the, the issue, and it's not a huge issue, but there are some who don't want to learn. And that, those are the ones that everybody has an issue with. Uh, as far as the pilots, um, so you know we we have the the tools then to take those folks and say okay here's an introductory course why don't we start with the basics and we can figure this out very quickly when people join the club and they they talk to us you know talk mm-hmm. to other members right uh, you can see where where you where you at 
and uh, either by peer training or by our formal flight school program, uh, we can we can bring the level of those pilots up, and that's been uh, one of the focus the focus that we had in the club is to have competent pilots fly on the network. It's more fun for everybody uh, when you know. And let me just say this: when, when I fly um, and I and I complete my flight, it's almost it's almost like a high when you get a when you complete a, a perfect flight. And I know there's no such thing uh, unless you're JT, maybe, but. <laughs> I knew um, that was coming. Yeah, uh, but you know, when everything went right, uh, maybe even even I'm not talking about if you planned it and it happened the way you planned it, but maybe you planned it, but you also planned the contingencies and and you had a go around or you had to divert and the controllers did their part and they and they did what they're supposed to do and you executed those commands perfectly and um, or to the best of your ability and and you land and you have this feeling of. Uh, maybe a bit of accomplishment, you know, as maybe you've learned something new. Maybe um, you've just you've realized that you just did something that, you know, uh, 50 other people were doing at the same time. And you feel like you're part of the community and everybody was respectful and understanding. And um, you just had a great time, you know, it's and that's what it's about. I think we we forget sometimes it's it's about having a good time in this hobby. Um, I so, agree. Right, uh, we do forget yeah. sometimes, but, it, it, but it's with, fun to bust each other's chops. You know, we're out there flying about who can land and who can't land, and absolutely. who screwed up absolutely. with uh, with uh, ATC. In fact, that reminds absolutely. Me. But you know what? It's also a learning point, and that's what we do in the club. I mean, some of these jokes are jokes, but at the same time, it it kind of in a nice way, in the in the human way, lets a person know, like, hey maybe you should have done this instead of that. You know, uh, you yeah. know you're supposed to extend your landing yeah. gear on landing, you know. Oh, you um, are? I didn't know that. <laughs> Nobody told I would, me that. So, I would love to see, so, I mean, it sounds great. I would love to see the pilot club's reach even grow further uh, or any of the, uh, the, 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 the organizations that exist that really have that, that same foundational element. You know what's interesting? You know, you'd mentioned, uh, when did you come on the network, Serge? Well, I think I started maybe 10, 13 years ago, maybe something like that. But I, I got into it a little bit, and I was so green that I really kind of wasn't into it. And then really, I, t- I took a long break, and then I really got into it maybe five years ago or so. Five years ago. So us old-timers remember that it was, it was long before Microsoft 2020 was out mm-hmm. that we had our first uh, surge of... Um, uh, pilots come that we started to be very critical of their intentions, and that was when MS Gaming Zones stopped. That's and what, what happened was it was it was a it was a uh, place where yeah. people could play online together in this capacity, but not very seriously. I mean, right. people would be formation flying into a mountain and then left, uh, probably because they had a little too much iced tea. Yeah. But um, it's always um, the tea. It's always the tea. But uh, then then when that closed, that was I think the first you know little like oh my goodness look at look at who's coming and now fast forward to now and it's happened now even more exponentially for the very reason you mentioned and that is how accessible something like microsoft flight simulator is to be able to plug it and and go in you know plug in and and just go you know it was interesting you were talking before about being understanding and, and cooperative of new pilots i i really think that's because, uh, and it could be into no fault of any particular person, but I think it may have to do with some of 
the way that we portray being a member of VATSIM in general at the moment. Because you have to understand that in order to learn, you have to be predisposed to learning. You have to be, the vessel has to be already kind of in the motion of, all right, I need to, I'm, I'm about to learn, right. and I understand that learning will take place. When you become a controller, there's an expectation of learning. There's an expectation of training, and there's an expectation of having to undergo certain steps in order to accomplish something. For a pilot, that expectation doesn't necessarily exist. There is not a predisposition yeah. to have to learn right. unless they yep. are fortunate enough to be in your organization or ones like it. Yep. I want to read an excerpt of the letter, if you don't mind. I'll read it really yeah, quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that summarizes my thoughts in general and I think puts a period of, as far as my perspective on this entire thing. And that is, uh, we must re all recognize that many engage in this hobby because they would not realistically be able to engage in aviation at all whether it's because of their cognitive or medical disposition, age, or personal choice, they are here to role play and manifest a life that would not otherwise be possible or practical. How we operate and the choices we make must always remain open to both of these types of members. And sometimes that will mean bending an aspect of reality, while other times it will mean members must step up and understand that this hobby is one that is built upon a complicated skill set requiring a particular degree of aptitude. The only unforgivable and undesirable offense is to not try to be a better person, controller, pilot, student, or staff member than who we were yesterday. Come prepared to training sessions. Acclimate yourself to your aircraft offline before connecting to the network and continuously strive to learn something new each day. No one, especially myself, is above the learning process. The day you stop acknowledging this concept is the day you need to reevaluate re your expectations. That's awesome. Yeah, well, well said, and it's it's absolutely true. And again, I mean, you mentioned, you know, certain expectation of, um, you know, you're going to come to the network. Um, you should be willing to learn to be to become a little bit better. Yeah. And and I think we, you know, I don't want to sound like we're, you know. It's not a huge issue, you know. We, you hear about it, at least in my opinion, and, and maybe you guys disagree. But um, again, as I'm looking at uh, the pilot club with 2,000 members, and that's a slice uh, of, you know, um, VATSIM uh, membership, for example. Um, I can tell you that most pilots are in that category that you've mentioned. That that they want to come to the network. If they yep. if they don't know, they want to learn. They want to they want to get better, right? Um, they are, uh, they're willing to learn and they're willing to accept certain level of, um, feedback, uh, be so from our, uh, staff in the club, be so from right. the ATC controller, um, mm -hmm. or a supervisor or what have you, they are okay with that. Um, you know, and so that's the difference. Uh, I think where the issue comes in is, is those who are not willing to learn or who are not willing to. To be better, um, and let me put it. Let me give you another perspective, Serge. I think there's a good number of them who are willing to learn and still making mistakes. And I think there's a very reasonable explanation for it. And I have said this to a numerous amount of people, including Tim himself. And that is, we as a network can do a better job of teaching people to know what they don't know. And I have a feeling that there are people who are operating the aircraft on the, on and, and don't realize what it is they're not doing right or don't realize what it is they should be doing better. 
and this idea of being aware of the things that you need to be able to do for a particular type of operation is something that needs to be very clearly outlined. And the other thing I had recommended was developing pathways for someone who wants to join and they want to do nothing but fly in very simple VFR tower airspace where there's nothing related to pushing tin, MIG tin, or anything. All right, well, you need to know the equivalent of a private pilot's license, which is XYZ. Or if you want to be an airline pilot, that's well and good, but you're going to have to have a mastery of X, Y, and Z because those are specific to that particular pathway. Once you are aware of what you don't know, it gives you, the student, and I, a, a starting point on yeah. how to address that and fix it. Yep, exactly right. That, that piece is, is missing, I, I would say, right? Um, I mean, we, we try to do uh, the best we can as far as uh, you know training, but really how you put it as far as certain skills or certain things you need to do in order to do xyz like certain things you need to know in order to fly an airliner you know and of course you know the a big group of people that what what do they do when they join the network first thing they they fly an airliner but and i it's always a 747 too right Right. and they learn as they go and they usually only figure out that it that they didn't realize that this is supposed to be that way until unfortunately, and this is not something I'm proud about, but unfortunately, a controller loses their patience and it becomes an incident on the mm-hmm. radio or yeah. a supervisor intervenes. It happens as a reactive measure as opposed to a proactive measure. And it's really that proactivity that we need to be a little bit more cognizant of. You know, I have well, some, I, can... uh, I have oh, some sorry, clips. I, I was going to say, I have some clips from uh, uh, one of our other partners, uh, Pilot Edge. Uh, and it kind of emphasizes what people go through as uh, being new members. So if you guys will indulge me for just a minute, I'll play a couple of those, and uh, we'll do a station ID, and then we'll be back. Is that all right with you guys? Yeah. So Sounds good. Uh, we got first flight. Uh, we'll be the first one, and then uh, how jumbled people can get with uh, numbers, like changing frequencies. Oh, yeah. And then uh, a funny one is uh, a stuck mic. So let's – Give a listen. Cessna 727 Sierra Papa, San Luis Talon. Say departure request. Uh, 727 Sierra Papa, like stay in the pattern uh, for uh, touch and coast. Cessna 7 Sierra Papa, make left close traffic, report midfield downward each time, runway 290 cleared for takeoff, wind come. Uh, left close traffic, runway 290, we'll report the downwind each time, cleared for takeoff, runway 290 or 7 Sierra Papa. Uh, San Luis Tower 727 Sierra Papa is uh, left downwind, runway 290. Cessna 7 Sierra Papa, thanks. When able, squawk VFR, runway 290 cleared for the option. Cessna 7 Sierra Papa, go around. Looks like there's a uh, deer entering runway 29 of them. 7 Sierra Papa, go around. And he's not talking to me. I know, he's making me do all the talking. Cessna 7 Sierra Papa, we'll get ops to uh, have a chat with Bambi. Uh, did you want uh, runway 25 in the meantime, just in case we have trouble getting him off the runway? Uh, sure, just give us whatever is available for 7 Sierra Papa. Cessna 7 Sierra Papa, very good. Speed and altitude permitting, start a right turn, enter a right downwind runway 25, and then on the go, make right close traffic for runway 25 each time. Cessna 7 Sierra Papa, thanks, runway 25, clear land. So that's pretty cool. That's somebody's first flight on the Pilot Edge network. And then the uh, other one that we were talking about was uh, frequency change. And, you know, uh, when you got so much stuff going on in a GA airplane or whatever, uh, it's real easy to, to get frustrated when you first start out, of course. And don't get frustrated because everybody's been hey, there. 
I mean, you guys are both familiar with. I mean, they don't have it now. It it was kind of shaky right before COVID hit, anyway. But you're familiar with familiarization flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, the all right. So for anybody uninitiated, familiarization flights were where, uh, say, for example, and I'm saying this very simplistically, you as a controller would be able to fly in the cockpit uh, along with the pilots, and it, the idea was that there would be a, a familiarization of what actually is happening on the other side of the microphone. Right. Um, you know what? Not unsimilar or dissimilar to uh, an Operation Rain Check where you're invited to an air traffic facility. You get to interview or talk to, rather, the uh, air traffic controllers, and they get to explain some of the full pause uh, that they see on a typical basis. And there's a, a mutual understanding or collaboration that goes on between air traffic and, and the pilots. And the thing that we... That type of familiarization, I think, that sometimes we forget about is the fact that we have people on the network who are flying jets that are supposed to be operated by two people, yet it's one person. And when you're issuing an instruction that has three different elements plus a frequency change and, you know, they don't have a module, so they're using their mouse to have to switch the frequency and at the same time be aware of all the other things, be able to respond back to you, aviate, navigate, communicate, it could be very, very labor-intensive. And so for that level of adeptness, there's there's this need for practice and consistent execution. And uh, it really has to go both ends of the coin. Before you are thinking about engaging in a, in, a, in a very sophisticated event, you know, maybe fly that plane a couple times before the event to make sure that you're capable of withstanding a reasonable amount of, of, of uh, uh, instructions. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the coin on an everyday basis when you're encountering somebody who is relatively new and, you know, they, they happen to say, say again, or what, what have you understand that there's a lot of workload going on by one person in, in that single pilot IFR situation. Yep. And so that, that mutual understanding needs to exist. And there also has to be a reasonable expectation that certain things are out of your, out of your your purview at this time. And that's a big thing that I would encourage any pilot to understand. If a pilot feels that they're not ready, it's okay. If you're not ready to engage in this major event because you're not comfortable reprogramming NFMC with a reroute or blah, 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 it's okay to miss this event because we're going to have a ton more. And it's okay to say that this is not my time because your time will come. And it's all about practicing to get to that point. And, and I hope that's something that everybody is is humble enough to admit when when they need to just stay on the side, yep. let something happen, and then be comfortable enough at another time to come back in. Yep. So let's go ahead and play this uh, clip here. Here we go. Test stream 106. Descend and maintain 12,000. Contact SoCal approach 119.6. Descend and maintain 12,000. Contact SoCal approach 119.6. 4106. Jet stream November 4106. 1,000. 12,000 for... I'm sorry, 1,000, 10,000, 12.7 for, for 12, 4106. Test room 4106, thanks for brightening up my night, the Ramona Altimeter <laughs> Tree 002. <laughs> That's funny. And then the last one here is the uh, stuck mic, and this one's my favorite. Uh, a Cessna Caravan. Okay, I'm looking for that traffic. Uh, scratch some Lima, and a Oh, f- How the hell did that happen? 
Our crafty advisor transmitting on freedom. <laughs> Sky Blue Radio would like to know how's your ship there supply? 30 minutes before ship re expansion. Oh, just enough time to obliterate all those little potential usurpers. Engine status? Nominal. Fuel supply? Full. Air supply? They will. Through the lips, over the gums, look out testicles, here I come! Scadley Radio, keeping you pressurized. It is uh, the top of the hour, JT, here on Sky Blue Radio, sounding great at any altitude. Check us out at skybluradio.com and then we have the brand new Vat USA division director with us Anthony and also Serge from the Pilot Club. Check both of them out, vatusa.net and thepilotclub.org Is it org or net? I think it's net. It's uh, .org. It's .org. Okay. Uh, two incredible organizations. We've been talking about a lot of stuff so um, what would you guys think about those uh, clips I just played? Surge? I I couldn't hear it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, It kind of leans into what uh, Anthony was talking about a little while ago. It's, you know, if you're not ready, you're not ready. That's that's fine. Well, you you know, if if I may, uh, as far as, you know, not being ready, um, I think, you know, and at least I can speak for our club environment is, you know, we feel comfortable, our members feel comfortable enough with each other to tell their friends like hey bud skip this event this is going to get busy the weather's crappy we got crap load of aircraft um you're not ready for this um however they will follow this up by hey what you doing tomorrow let's do a practice flight off the network or uh, somewhere where it's not busy you know and the advantage of this obviously environment is that that you have that support um and maybe those who are not in those types of club environments, um, they don't they don't have that. But you know, looking back at uh, or reflecting back on what Anthony said earlier about understanding each group, right? The pilots understanding uh, ATC or what they do behind the scenes, and ATC understanding what kind of things pilots are experiencing in on flight decks. Um, we are actually working with Houston Arctic uh, currently to put together a webinar uh, that we're probably going to call Behind the Radar or something like that that addresses that specific issue for the pilots to where um, the controllers will explain why they give certain instructions to the pilots, why you have a reroute, why you have the runway that you were given versus the one that you wanted, Things like that, increasing awareness of such things uh, will will uh, certainly increase the the uh, level of enjoyment uh, uh, from people flying on the network because you know it's all about understanding, right? People get frustrated because they've spent all this time programming this route, and midway through the flight they got a reroute, and it's confusing, and they're not sure. But you know, if they know why that happened. Um, they will certainly be more, you know, accepting of it. And same on the on the ATC side. And I have to commend VATSIM in general and, and VATUSA in particular about the quality of ATC folks that are on the network because majority of the time, again, 99% of the time, what I hear is is that understanding from the controllers. When something goes wrong on the pilot side, you know, most of the time 
you you do get that understanding from the controller. Sometimes some folks are a little more stern than others, um, but you know, majority of ATC controllers on the network do understand. So, and I do appreciate that, um, and and the new pilots appreciate that. And you know, the the controllers aren't out there to make them feel bad. Um, uh, Anthony mentioned the fact that folks coming in uh, the network should have that expectation of hey i'm not gonna know everything i need to be ready to you know soak up some knowledge if it's imparted on me you know and you do hear controllers sometimes um offer those suggestions i understand in a busy environment they're unable but if it's less busy and somebody makes a mistake i heard many 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 times the controller will say hey um this is what you're supposed to do or they will say hey go there and you'll get some more information on that you know, and uh, while it may break um, uh, realism for some, you know, uh, as, uh, you know, in, in real life, ATC wouldn't do that necessarily. Um, it is a good thing. Uh, it increases the, the level of competency on the network overall. And, um, you know, that pilot then goes and, and learns and, uh, and does better the next time. Uh, again, going back to what Anthony said about, being better than you are, you were uh, yesterday, uh, is you're going to learn that little piece and you're going to come back. And I went through that. I did that. I, you know, uh, and I think all of us did, right? We we came into the hobby with a certain level of knowledge. Some of us with uh, real real world aviation uh, backgrounds. Some are not, you know. And um, and you learn. And uh, having uh, tools like the flight school, having tools like the Houston Arctic uh, webinar that we're going to put out uh, hopefully soon uh, is going to help with these things. It's it's the why behind the radar, you know, for at least for the pilots, is going to help tremendously. Understanding why things are being said to them the way they're being said to them, and you know, certain instructions, and. Um, uh, that's gonna that's gonna increase uh, the level of um, competency from the pilot side. I wanted to um, ask Anthony a question, if, uh, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it, man. The answer is forty-two. I was going to say and forty-three. You know that's it. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's uh, really good. No, but the the question is, um, and you probably have heard this over the years. Um, the controllers go through tremendous amount of training in order to qualify for certain positions and then move up to other positions. They have to do the over-the-shoulder. They have to do sweat box. They have to do the test. I, I mean, I'm running out of air here just talking about all the things that controllers have to do. And, and I, I know this very closely, even though I'm not a controller, because we have a bunch of controllers in the club, and they talk about it, and they tell pilots about it as well. Um, the question is this. Uh, the uh, So the ATC has to do these things, right, as they join the network and, and want to become a controller. There's really nothing that VATSIM requires of pilots uh, other than a very easy-to-pass test on entry. Um, what is your position on, on this topic? I know it's a, it's a little bit controversial, and I can tell you my position. I, I would like to see a, a, a stricter requirement uh, for pilots to join the network, uh, maybe not as strict as far as training uh, or, or passing the test, um, as ATC, but stricter than the current rules. But what is your position on that? Because it seems like it's lopsided a little bit, right? To become a controller, 
you have to do all these steps and pass all these tests. But to be to be a pilot, to become a, a pilot on the network, all you got to do is come in, answer a very easy test, and here you are flying a 747. Anthony, what's your position, sir? So, in short, I think there needs to be a curriculum established that depending upon the intent of what the user wants to do, they need to follow that curriculum. As I was saying before about defining a pathway, I think that it's reasonable to assume that not everybody's going to want to be a, a 747 captain. Some people, some people may legitimately want to just load into a single-engine piston and copy lessons that they're doing in reality or just kind of fly around and enjoy going slow with the... Uh, you know, a VFR only. You know, there's no reason why that person should have a similar curriculum as the person who's the jet pilot. But the jet pilot has to have a more rigorous curriculum because they're going to be operating equipment that is going to be more challenging. And I would equate any of our controllers having to sit there and learn how to use any of the radar clients to the equivalent of, of a pilot having to understand how to use their equipment in this case would be the plane. And as far as knowledge based, I mean, when you're a private pilot, you're, you're studying the pilot's handbook of, you know, of, of, of aeronautical knowledge. You're, you're looking at the airplane flying handbook. You're reading through the aim, which is a nice little storyteller way of, of telling you how to go about basically the, the uh, CFRs and, and you're learning the CFRs. So you're, you're learning, you're learning all of this book knowledge and then understanding with the help of an instructor how to apply that knowledge and fly the actual plane. And, and oftentimes the flying the actual plane part is the easy part in reality. It's the other stuff and, and ironically the speaking to air traffic control part that is the most rigorous for students. Here we don't have the benefit of that one-on-one -on -one instruction and it's certainly not mandated. So you're left to your own devices to understand how to operate your equipment and at the same exact time, have to read or really understand the whole context of how the national airspace system works. And when left to your own devices, unless you're somebody who's thirsting for knowledge and, and able to really successfully learn on your own, you're going to be left with lots of gaps. And it's those gaps of knowledge that creates issues where you have someone who's competent enough to go this far, but not all the way and competent enough to go this far, but not go all the way. And one of the things that we've tried to do from an air traffic perspective is create a curriculum, a scope and sequence, but then even a fine-tuned curriculum. And this is done more specifically at each of the facilities where individual items are, are, are checked off a list to make sure that when you graduate from one to two to three to four, you're able to compound on what you've learned before and continue to learn. So that missing scope and sequence that missing element of creating a curriculum depending upon your pathway that you choose is i believe what is necessary of vatsim to do to really bring us into a, a future where pilots can understand their role in the learning process and i liken it to uh aopa has an infographic that i remember from years ago Mm -hmm. And it goes from top to bottom, and at the top it says it's like a, a, an infographic of like a, a little pathway, right? And, and it's nice and decorative. It looks like a little uh, winding road. And at the very top was your residential uh, recreational license and uh, sport license, and then your um, private license and an instrument, and then it would keep on going and going and going until like you know airline pilot. And each way it told you, well, in order to be a private pilot, you need 
XYZ. And it would be very simple in terms of you need X amount of hours, you need this. In order to be a commercial pilot, you need this, this, and this. In order to be an ATP, you need this, this, and this. Right? None of that really exists unless they sway into or they are a part of an organization like yours. And I certainly don't want to make that sound like it's, it's a fault of anybody, and I certainly don't want to blame Vatsim. But I think it's, it's a byproduct of the fact that we are a little behind the way that the demographic of our network has become. And I'll cycle back to when I spoke to JT before and said, do you remember when we first existed, the majority of people I felt had this predisposition of knowledge, right? And, and this, yep. this ambition that self-fueled their, their, their learning drive, right? They had, a, they had a, an awareness of what they didn't know. They knew what they needed to work on. They didn't overstep the boundary. And the level of entry, which could be argued was a bad thing, the level of entry was high enough where some people who, uh, it would exclude some people because unless you really were interested and motivated, it wasn't something attainable. Now, flip the coin to today where the level of entry is made easier, which you can argue is a very good thing because now you're exposing more people, more youth, more facets of life and demographics to engage in our hobby, which is an all-around great thing. But without really establishing an expectation for them, it becomes it can become a mess because then they get into into situations where otherwise they wouldn't necessarily be. Yeah, I, I agree, um, and and I appreciate the, the the answer. I think on the on the training side and that sort of like you were saying the pathway and um uh, kind of making the, a difference between you know the the goals that the pilot has and then depending on that having the the path for him but what about the initial entry and i know this is a bigger question you know that's him sort of in general question but as far as entry itself um what are your thoughts about the the discrepancy or the difference between um or the e, how should I phrase this? The ease at which people can join again, and and I know it's a controversial issue, and uh, making. Well, I don't it... know if it's controversial. What I'll say is, well, yeah. If I, what what I would what I would say is this. Uh, first of all, I haven't looked at this entrance exam in ages. I mean, I I don't remember if I had to do one back when. I probably did. It's too and easy. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's changed. <laughs> But here's, here's the difficulty I find there is, and I have to rely on you for this because I don't know, is that entrance exam specific to region? No, it's just a general, um, it's not, and it's just general exam. And when I joined, it, it, it didn't exist, but it, it does now. Uh, so I'm not sure of the specific questions. All I know is the feedback that I get is, I mean, it's very easy to, to pass, and here you are. It's well, no, so the next here's thing you're, you're flying, and and the content of that is is uh, when I say general aviation knowledge, I don't mean general aviation. I mean general aviation knowledge, right? Is that is that what it is? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So here's where I find there to be some difficulty with that. Uh, fortunate or unfortunate, as it may be, FAA and IKO are separate and different, and there are circumstances where IKO procedures and FAA procedures don't jive, and we have people who are attempting to fly here that don't really understand the differences and, and what a transition altitude is and what the expectations are in terms of phraseology. So whether 
if you give this completely vanilla generic uh, test, it's likely not really going to assess anything of value for either party because it's going to try and stay so neutral that it really becomes a non a non entity, nothing really of worth, right? Yep. What I think the entry level test should be, if you don't want to make a, a specific entry level test per region, and let's say you don't want to do that, you want to create one thing, then the only thing it should function to do is make the user aware and ex of the expectations of being a member here, and that's it. The the entry level test should not worry about anything with regard to aviation. That that to me, in my opinion, would be step two. Step one is basically what we do, uh, JT may reference to it, in the academy we have something called trainee orientation. And this comes from my real-world uh, educational kind of way of doing things, but I, I have commitment statements as one of the lessons. And the lesson about commitment statements is that you are, uh, you are basically agreeing to some sort of a contract here as a student that you will commit to certain things, like always learning and always trying to get better and always doing this. I think that the first level of input or the first level shouldn't be, it shouldn't be cloaked in this manner that, that makes it seem like this is such a scary place. But I do believe there needs to be a certain severity and seriousness to it to really tell the person who's coming on board, understand what you're getting into. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a place to hang. This will most likely be the niche that you find the most connection with. But understand that it is not pure entertainment without rules. And the, the, and, and the initial entry should be just basically explaining that, having the person understand and write that, that they understand that that's the case. Because if the circumstance comes down the road where they have to be held to a consequence and, and accountable, you basically say, well, listen, you, you signed that contract at the beginning. You understood you understood what we're getting into. Um, there was yeah. no mystery from the get-go that there's an expectation to learn. And you you yourself basically agreed to that at the very start. It's almost like you, you've agreed to the terms and conditions, if you will, right? Um, yeah. So you can be held accountable. Now, beyond that first expectation, beyond it being blatantly obvious what it is to be a super successful member here, then... Guided to a pathway, yep. encouraged to then follow that pathway and learn specific to your region. And and I think that's very important for pilots who want to fly mostly in Europe to worry about European IKO standard. For people who want to fly in, in, in the US division, learn FAA. And yeah. if it's purely just if it's purely just um plane, then think of it this way. If if flying a plane is flying a plane no matter where you are in the world then there should be little endorsements for being able to fly in the FAA versus flying in IKO, almost like a, a high-speed endorsement or complex endorsement. Mm -hmm. You learn to fly the plane generally, and then you, you go the, the extra step depending upon where you're going to find yourself most likely. And then you're, you're a better teammate in the process. Let's uh, good, uh, Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, JT. No, go ahead. Finish your thought, and then we'll take a station break. All right, cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think – VATSIM, like, we don't do good enough job to set to, to set those expectations for the new folks, especially for the younger generation now that we've we've seen, you know, in the last couple of years, a huge increase of. 
um, we don't do a good job setting the expectation, like you've mentioned. Um, and it's, I think it goes a long way. Um, we do encounter that in the club as well, right? We, we have some folks that come in and, I mean, they're from a gamer community, right? And now the flight sim, uh, some people use it as a game. Some people use it as a sim, you know, and it, to each his own. I'm not, I'm not judging. But when they join the club, we specifically lead them through a path of which step one is here's what you're going to expect here. Here's what we're about. You know, and so I don't know, maybe then, like I said, maybe VATSIM as a greater organization uh, could do something better as far as managing those expectations or setting those expectations, like you've mentioned, um, so that folks know what they're getting into. Because I do hear on the network, or I, I see those situations a lot of times where, you know, people bite off more than they can chew because they didn't know it's going to be like this, you know, and they, they thought, well, I'm just going to fly this airplane in external view and it's all good. I'm on the network, you know, oh, I see other airplanes, you know, um, they have no knowledge about uh, aviation or any any of those sorts of things. And then another uh, another aspect I was going to I was going to mention is and, and it's also a challenge on the network is. Lots of people want to join the network and they want to fly airliners. And I and I get that. It's fun to be a, a captain and to f- a, a fly a huge airplane. But you know what? It starts with the basics. You know, if you don't know the forces of flight, if you don't know how the airplane operates, an airplane is an airplane, right? Uh, you guys know this. Well, I, my thing is, like my suggestion is that folks really should start with a 152 or 172. I know it's not sexy, it's not exciting uh, for for those joining the network, but you know what? That's where you learn the basics of it, how, you know, the heading and the uh, airspeed and like all those concepts. And, you know, in the club we have, in our flight school, we have the PPL program, which is actually structured after an, a, a real-life PPL uh, course that covers all the basics that you need to know uh, because then you can build on that, right? And you talked about the pathway. Um, uh, when you have that base knowledge, then you can apply that base knowledge to other aircraft as you as you progress, you know? And right. uh, But guess what? Those who, I mean, you can jump in an airliner and read the manual that comes with it, right? With whatever add-on you're using and be able to start flying it but you you're going to miss out on so many things so many fundamental things uh that you need to know on the flip side if you do have that base knowledge uh, about the the basics of it then you can really hop in another GA plane or another airplane and you're going to know what you're doing uh, you know more or less or or, or quicker uh, than if you if you didn't have that knowledge so that's another I think the issue it. I think the issue is managing what so I, I I've often found this happens within music as well that how one defines the term fun could be different from one person to the next and I nerd as I am genuinely find it fun to learn and that's why whenever somebody um, approaches me about something and I've never learned about you know never I don't know it from a hole in a wall I'll I'll go absolutely bonkers learning as much as I can about it. I get very overwhelmed thinking, learning about it because I, I just, I need to learn. I need to know everything about it. I, I, years ago when I started doing whiskey, I, all of a sudden now I'm a whiskey connoisseur because I got very involved in, in learning about everything it was to do with, with that. But I, I think for some fun isn't that and how they define the fun 
is is where you're going to find that opposition. People who want to fly the people may not. And I, I've talked with uh, Bob Sherman, Rob Sherman about this as well. Some people just simply do not want to spend the time doing 172. They just want to be able to plug into the 737, and they may want to learn, but their interest in having fun is to be an airliner, yeah. or or you know, and and it's well, how do you? I don't know if it's right to force them, yeah. but I think it's it's a good way to will them into understanding. There's a there's an easier pathway to learn this way versus forcing them to in this direction, the other direction. Yeah. But and, if and there's I, a way, if there's a way to, to like my, my idea of no, of what you don't know is, okay, if you want to fly a 737, you're dead set on doing that. That's okay. But understand, and then show them this list of like a dozen things that you would need to know on top of work in the aircraft and then say, well, you know, the Cessna 172, you just need to know. And, and it's almost like you can allow them to make the choice and and then yeah. they would then be able to figure out what it's best for them. You know what I mean? No, and I, and I wasn't certainly suggesting you know making anything mandatory. It's more, yeah, absolutely. It's more about guiding uh, somebody towards that. But it's just uh, just like you said, uh, you know, in music. I mean, there um, or you or you've mentioned music uh, as as your profession. Um, there's a certain level, though, the the base uh, l- level of knowledge about music that you need to have to be able to play an instrument is it not is it not true right well no, no yes that's correct and it all has to start at square fundamentals. one right but 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 that also involves you know 30 minutes of practice 60 minutes of practice, a lot of the boring stuff and i think some people want to skip the boring stuff yeah. you know i don't want to fly 172 because it's boring i don't want to fly i don't want to learn about the fundamentals because it's boring and that's the that where strategy and how to teach and it sounds like you're right you're doing it very well comes into play absolutely all right let's see 24 after the hour let's go ahead and take a break guys you're listening to anthony and serge on the jt show on sky blue radio we'll be back after this uh station break hi this is nels anderson from flexin.com and in my free time i listen to sky blue radio Today's show is brought to you by the letters S, B, and R, and the color blue. You're listening to Sky Blue Radio, sounding great at any altitude. Some people call me the space cowboy, yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Some people call me Maurice Cause I speak of the pompatists of love People talk about me, baby Say I'm doing you wrong, doing you wrong Well, don't you worry, baby, don't worry Cause I'm right here I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner. I play my music in the sun. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. I sure don't want to hurt no one. 
I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner. I play my music in the sun. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. I get my love in on the
Jackson.com. And in my free time, I listen to Sky Blue Radio. Oh, yeah. 31 past the hour. It's JT here on Sky Blue Radio. Sounding great at any altitude. Check us out at skyblueradio.com. I have uh, Anthony, the VAT USA director, brand new, just moving into his office. Check him out, vatusa.net, of course, a division of VATSIM. And then my good friend Serge from the Pilot Club. Be sure to check them out as well, an incredible organization, thepilotclub.org is their address. Welcome back, guys. Are you there? Hello. Oh. Hey. Okay, good. Phew. Thought I was talking to myself there for a minute. What uh <laughs> what are your guys' favorite uh airplanes to fly virtually? Ooh, can I I, I don't have many, but I'd like to go first. Yeah, yeah, right. go for it. I'm a big hot star challenger fan. So I, I originally um was flying the uh Zebo uh seven thirty seven. Okay. And uh I enjoyed it. I liked it. And then when Hot Start came out, and I mean, in my opinion, I felt like we had a, a really good study level aircraft. And I'm an XP guy. I know. Well, you Microsoft people are going to complain about me. Nobody's I do perfect. own Microsoft. Nobody's perfect. First flight. I own Flight Sim. I've had every single flight simulator that ever existed since the beginning of time. I happen to prefer X Plane. But the Hot Start Challenge to me is one of the most jet aircraft that you can fly. And I've thoroughly enjoyed flying it um everything every nuance about it has been something that has re, uh, you know reinvigorated my my jet experiences on on the on any network how about you Serge? so um i started flying um in the sim i started flying uh the airbus 319 um on the, um fsx mm-hmm. uh, many 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 years ago and i've i've actually uh, Who's I, that I, by? Who put that? Uh, out? That was Airsoft. Oh, okay. yeah, nice. Air, that was Airsoft, uh, the one that I had, anyways, in FSX. I flew 319 for a decade, like literally the only aircraft I flew, and I've gotten obviously pretty good at it, I would say. But well, um, don't, you know, don't push I, it well, there. I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, I know that's that's subjective. I, I know, I know, JT. But yeah, slow uh, down. Uh, I've gotten into FS 2020, um, and I've gotten. Uh, I waited for. A study level Airbus and Phoenix uh, Phoenix 320 came out. Um, I don't know how many months ago, a few months ago, and I jumped on it and I love it. Um, the the level of detail and the systems depth mm-hmm. and the immersion and the sounds and everything, just the whole package. Uh, so I would say that my favorite that is my favorite. However, I will mention a few a few others that I do fly and enjoy tremendously. And the second place would be Kodiak. Uh, another very popular airplane. This is obviously on the on the GA side. Yep. Uh, and and I do like to do GA flights with the club. And sometimes we fly into some uh, you know more remote areas and stuff like that. So for that, Kodiak is my is my number two on the list. And then I also and I know this is not the rules because you asked for your for the favorite, but I have no, to good. mention <laughs> I have to mention the CJ four and um, the corporate pilot dad who is a friend of the show and and friend friend of um, Sky Blue Radio. Yep, he's, he's a great guy. Me great, and he's a real, real, uh, real life uh, corporate pilot. He flies biz jets, right? So he's gotten me into CJ four, and I and I loved that aircraft, and I flew that in FS twenty twenty until the three twenty came out by Phoenix. 
So I do have to give props to that aircraft and the working title group, which is the, the team behind that aircraft, or the mod for the aircraft anyways, has done a tremendous job on the FMS and the, the systems and the flight dynamics and all of those types of things. And then I cannot not mention uh, a few other GA ones that I do love flying, Turbo Arrow and the 414. Those uh, those are my go-to. Um they do sit in the hangar nowadays and collect dust a little bit more now that I that I'm, you know, I have the Phoenix uh, 320 to fly, but uh but I Well, with the fuel prices, I don't I don't doubt that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh well, yeah, for the Phoenix 320, the club pays for the fuel, so right? Oh, I don't course. have to I don't have to worry about that. And I also wanted to uh to tell Anthony or ask Anthony if if he's excited about uh, uh, X-Plane 12 coming out. It, it yeah. does look good, I, I must say. Yeah. I think uh, Austin finally realized that, you know, th- uh, the flight sim enthusiasts want the accuracy and flight dynamics and instrumentation and systems modeling as well as good visuals, right? And I think that's uh, that's one yeah, of the things, not- that we, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and you can extend. I mean, this is another conversation altogether. You can extend X Plane to look halfway decent. You can't get it to look completely like Microsoft Flight Sim. They 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 hit the ball out of the park from a visual standpoint. I yeah. personally have never been somebody so ingrained from that to to want that to, so so focused on having that in my simulator. I always was more. A, a person who was about the details of the aircraft and the handling okay. of the aircraft. So that's why XP was uh, always my particular favorite. FYI, uh, I find it interesting. Your your list of planes went. I, I lost track of how many planes you were saying were your favorite. You could yeah, that's what I was going to say, Dan. Of, you you could very clearly <laughs> see that most of my hours on the network are uh, controlling and not flying. Yeah, I my favorite still, like I said, Phoenix three twenty. But I just wanted to give props to those other planes. Um, oh, that was that was a decent pun. Pun. Um, <laughs> give give uh, credit to to those uh, other aircraft, you know. And with now the 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 flight simulator 2020 being out now for two years, now we start seeing a lot more advanced um, aircraft coming out, more study level, and 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 obviously the the flight model uh, accuracy and and details and all those types of things increase as well. So I know a lot of people. It's like a console system, right? The games that first come out on a new console are never as good as down the road because they it's almost like manufacturers learn how to better use the console yeah. and and I always yeah. find that, you know, games at the one that's considered end of life are always a little bit better than the new games on the new console within reason because and so I think that's inevitable with flights in. And that competition is only better is only going to be better for X-Plane in my opinion. I agree, and I and I saw some of the X Explain Twelve um, videos and, and screenshots, and the, the the lighting looks better, the uh, the, the um, atmospherics look better. But you know what? And and I'm obviously we're not getting into the battle between the Sims. It's whatever's you know your preference. But um, the the thing that I see as a as a huge advantage uh, for Microsoft, two things here. Number one is photogrammetry, uh, having having satellite data. The whole planet, essentially, right, or most of it, such a huge deal. And and again, I, I hear what you're saying because you're you're concentrating on the aircraft itself and the systems and the modeling of you know, the cockpit and all those types of things. But for those guys flying GA, 
uh, you know, and they're, they're flying VFR, they're doing debt reckoning and all those things, well, they can actually do that n properly now 100%. without any external help uh, and, and, and be able to do that. So I think that's, hu that's huge. And, and, and again, as, to kind of bring it back to the beginning of our conversation, uh, you know, with the influx of new uh, pilots, uh, that's, you know, the, the FS-2020 did that for us. And um, that's a lot of folks do that. They jump in a, in a small GA airplane and they go sightseeing um, the that's planet, true. right? Um, and 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 that's actually something that uh, I I would just say that that I've heard from our members in the club. We'd like to see more of in uh, on Vatsim is GA centric stuff. You know, they're they're not. We we try to promote that a little bit, and we work with some of our uh, Arctic partners like New York uh, and Houston again that to bring GA to the forefront a little bit more. Uh, on the network, uh, because we don't see that um, uh, the, the the levels that we'd like to see of people flying GA, and again, that kind of feeds into the the thing that I've talked about earlier about folks know, knowing the fundamentals and and learning, you know, starting to learn these concepts with GA aircraft instead of jumping into the airliner. I understand your position on this was well, the level of fun or definition of fun. And you know some folks don't just don't want to do that. However, if um, if we increase the level of GA awareness on the network, and we've been doing that in the club and folks uh, clubs like uh, Virtual USA Flying Club that does yep. exclusively GA type of flying, yeah, uh, you know we can bring those those type types of things to to the new wave of the pilots coming in because they're already doing those types of things uh, because of the FS twenty twenty. So, hey, Serge, based on, on an aspect of realism, would you say that Microsoft Flight Simulator is a little easier? Then? For a newbie? Yeah, which one would oh, be better? To get, uh, into, the, to, to get into the Flight, flight sim, sim or another one? Yeah, just generally. Um, well, I mean, you know what? The, the, it's interesting because I think with FS2020, it gives you options. And we've this is kind of the, the tone for the program that we've set and you've mentioned this before, it's what you want to get out of it. Um, with FS2020, um, I would say so for sure. You, the, the, uh, you do have the option of kind of an easier uh, learning or easier flight uh, to begin with, right? And, and again, yeah. I got to be honest, the reason why I asked that is because I, I wanted to reassure JT that if he wants to improve his landing, so he should stick with Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't think that's possible. He's. Uh, it's, wow. Uh, it's really bad. Beyond help. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. Can't copy. <laughs> You're breaking you. up. We lost you. No, but you know what? The, the great thing about the great thing about FS2020, though, it it did allow those who were not in the hobby before to join it, and now our job is to teach them, mm -hmm. to guide them. Right and and to and at least I see my position as as a, as a founder of a of a flight sim club um, is to do that and then on the network again to to guide them and to make sure that they have the sufficient knowledge that's needed and and the ex, and their expectations are met and the network's expectations are met and you know if I may if I may say this uh, because I mean we're talking about all these things. I enjoy tremendously flying on the network, and it's worth saying, uh, and I enjoy flying with friends, you know, and I enjoy flying, not JT, though, but, I, you know, I enjoy flying Damn. with other friends. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Um, <laughs> it's such a joy uh, for the most part. Again, 99% of the interactions are positive and good on the network with, with the controllers. The controllers are knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, and, and the level of realism is just is unbelievable. So I'm, I'm just very excited about it. And I know I jumped all over the place from different topics, but I did want to get it out there because I don't want people to think also, oh, well, we're discussing issues. You know, it's little fine-tuning things that we can do maybe to make everybody's experience better. But you know what? Let's, let's do say it, that the experience is good. You know, for the, for the majority of the, the uh, pilots and, and controllers, uh, the experience is awesome on the you know flying on the network you know i had thought jt i thought of something else more like a public service announcement okay to advocate from the from the atc if that's all right it sure to do absolutely with, uh, it ties into everything in terms of this renewed uh interest that people are having and i just want to break away just from the the aircraft discussion to talk about it you know that we have and i actually am friendly with many uh very popular streamers that that exist on the network mm -hmm. and they bring with them uh, an entertainment value that is unprecedented and twitch itself is starting to see and not starting it it has seen a tremendous amount of our hobby just spill right into that yeah i think it's great i think if we can learn how to leverage it it would be even better and i have friends of mine who are or have phenomenal ideas as far as that goes as well but my big public service announcement that kind of goes into training, but not has nothing to do with flying a plane, knowing how to fly a plane has nothing to do with uh, understanding knowledge of, of, of airspace and communications it has to do more with acceptable conduct when streaming. And I would just, as a public service announcement advocating for my controllers is just say that streaming is a wonderful way to get people involved and invigorated into and, 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 and kind of draw them into the hobby because a lot of times people will see their favorite streamer, really like it, and then wind up joining, which is phenomenal. Yeah. But when they stream, oftentimes they're a little too concentrating on their audience than listening yep. to air traffic. Yep. So the, the, the thing I, 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 I just very politely re would request is that the streaming is phenomenal. Just understand that you're still operating in an environment that's meant to be like real world. So even though sometimes it'll take one or two calls to get a hold of you, 15 calls because you're entertaining a raid or whatever it is on Twitch. And I've, I've done my fair share, my fair share. I've done a very minimal amount of trying to stream the scope. Uh, but, I, you know, it's just, just to be aware of when you're connected to the network, you still want to be engaged in that first and foremost um, anthony and then, you know pilots you know, pilot streamers do this also yeah so it's actually your your psa is good for for the pilots as well uh, who, who are well i meant that well, I, well no i meant that for the pilots predominantly because the the controllers themselves generally i don't see it happening with them but it's really with the pilot streamers that that have gotcha. that gotcha. that okay. uh, attention division that mm -hmm. i would just say as a public service announcement that we just uh, that would be my big takeaway what about add-ons? What are your favorite add-ons for your flight simulator? Go ahead. Don't be I, scared. I, I, <laughs> I, well, I, I'm going to give away to Search because Search probably has a list that's about 57 things long. I, I, I have. <laughs> of course you do. I have. 
I have a bunch of things under the hood. I don't think there's you know, either my Microsoft or well, not Microsoft is pretty much under the hood because it doesn't need much. But uh, for what I use it, X Plane has a lot of stuff under the hood. I just don't remember what I installed, so I'm not going to be very good. Serge, you want to take it away for the next hour? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, I mean, I don't want to go like sim centric uh, for a particular platform. Uh, but I am on FS2020, and we, we do have on our website a recommended list of add-ons for uh, FS2020 anyways. And, you know, mm-hmm. some of the things in there, uh, you know, cover environments. As you guys know, um, you know, it's it's a new platform, so there, there are issues and things being worked out. So airport night lighting is a good uh, mod for FS2020 because it, uh, it, uh, in, it um, includes night lighting for those smaller, you know, uh, Charlie and Delta airports uh, where you may not have um, airport night lighting uh, modeled. That's a good one. Um, uh, ground markings fix is a good add-on because uh, it kind of ages the ground markings at airports. It makes them less vibrant and more used and grungy, right, uh, with oil slicks or little... Yeah. Oh, no, oil slicks would be bad, but whatever, like th- whatever things are on the ground, yeah. Um, we love VFR. Uh, is a great add-on, global add-on, actually, for the sim for GA pilots uh, as it adds uh, various objects to make your experience more realistic, like uh, smokestacks and factories and infrastructure items. Um, That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good uh, popular add-on for our GA guys. Uh, And then, you know, as far as model matching, and this is a topic, obviously, that everybody's familiar with, how do we make... How do we make sure when we fly on the network that we see the correct liveries for the aircraft? You know, and and the the, the big thing is obviously when the controller tells you, "Hey, follow uh, American whatever 320." I don't know if American flies Airbus, but um, uh, follow that uh, aircraft passing from left to right on taxiway Charlie, and you look out and you're like, "Well, there are a couple aircraft, and I don't see the American." You know, so the model matching. Um, uh, in the in our sims is is kind of a a challenge sometimes, but uh, for FS twenty twenty AIG is probably number one, and then Airsoft uh, simple traffic is a kind of a uh, simpler you know solution uh, for that. Now I can go on forever uh, with these yeah, we mods. Know. We know you can. Yeah, yeah <laughs> thanks. But uh, but I you know we we did forget to ask JT uh, about his favorite aircraft. You know. Uh... When I just switched over to Microsoft 2020 from prepared, I still have prepared and fly it from time to time. But uh, when I was in the Lockheed Martin, uh, I loved the PMDG 777. And um, I can't remember the name of the guy that did the, uh, they had some add-on sounds. I believe it was from the Just Flight website that you could add on there. And it really uh, emphasized the hum of that 777 mm-hmm. uh, engines. It was really cool. Really enjoyed that. Active Sky uh, was always number one on the list for me. And um, so that's for the prepared. Now, for Microsoft uh, for 2020, uh, do you guys ever use uh, GSX, Ground Services? I have an FSX. I don't. Okay. I, uh, I, I got it when it came out, uh, what was it, a couple days ago, I think it was. And it seemed pretty buggy to me uh, at first, but... Then again, previous versions were also pretty buggy, so yeah. uh, it didn't really come to surprise. Uh, I had hoped that a lot of that stuff was worked out, but 
uh, it just isn't. So uh, I have that. I don't use it too much. And then uh, uh, that that's pretty much it. I'm pretty much a Boeing guy, so I'm I'm kind of a PMDG nerd, I guess. Um, did you get the 800? I, I did get the 800. <laughs> I got it yesterday, and uh, I flew it uh, for our flying Thursdays uh, with you guys, and it, it was pretty nice. It's a little bit different, of course, than the six and seven hundred, of course, but uh, it it was really nice. So yeah. What do you fly? Do you fly any uh, GA stuff at all? And and I know I'm probably sounding like a GA guy, and I'm not. Trust me, uh, my yeah. flight operations guys always joke about it. Uh, but I do I do like GA. But uh, do you fly any GA aircraft? I do sometimes. Uh, my brother ha- uh, owns a um, a Bonanza. And uh, I've always enjoyed going flying with him, and uh, I have uh, a Bonanza uh, that just came out. That's pretty cool. Uh, but other than that, the TBM every once in a while. But that's that's oh the King Air. I do like the King Air. Yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much as far as I go. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, look, guys, we're got about a uh, little less than ten minutes left in the show. I'm so thankful for. You guys being out here, uh, what do you want to say to your to the listeners out there? Anthony, why don't you go first? I don't know if I have anything else to say, which is a very surprising thing. <laughs> wow. I would be very surprised that I have nothing else to say. I, I think, quite honestly, I think the, the letter basically expresses all of my thoughts in one location, one, one place. Mm-hmm. And that letter that I wrote to the Value USA community is really the overarching mission or vision that I have for our division. And, and I think it could even be extended to every facet of whether it be our organization or any other one. I mean, it's all very achievable or very reasonable asks. And that is that, you know, we just understand how to communicate and collaborate better. But um from from a strictly advocating ATC perspective, I think it's it's understanding that both sides need to understand what each side has to do to become better and, and continuously strive to become better yep. and work with organizations such as the Pilot Club to develop a relationship where we can utilize each other's resources, whether it be the Pilot Club help out with, with uh, over-the-shoulder exams and evaluations with students or or being there for pilot club events and and in any other organization like the virtual usa client club and fill in the blank other things bat star and all that uh being able to work collaboratively with both sides for to really achieve the the overall mission what uh when you fly online uh, on vetsim anthony what what what's your typical call sign are you going to fly as Vat USA one or or which? No, no, you? I don't do that. <laughs> no, so I, I've flown for, so uh, I don't fly too often. Usually, fly with the tail number of my plane, which is eight three nine seven four, based in Republic. It's not even my plane; it's a friend's plane who actually owns it. He's uh, he actually was my flight instructor, private flight instructor for years. He bought this plane a number of years ago. I had the good fortune of going down to Raleigh Durham and ferrying it up from nice. the Raleigh Durham area back. to long island where it's parked at republic nice and i usually if i'm flying ga i'll fly that if i'm not flying for a va i would do uh just whatever the flight number would be but i've been recently i i got involved with walker uh walker 
Airlines, which is not a real uh, airline, but it's a virtual airline. And uh, I got I got involved with that because I was working so many on pilotage. And I just said, oh, what is this? And then I looked into it, and, I, and they have a lot of really cool citation. Um, you know, you can fly the citation through all their, their legs. So I wound up war, uh, joining the airline. I'm Walker 440 is the call sign I use for that. And um, actually, when I joined the pilot club, I decided, well, 440 seems to be my thing, so I'm going to keep it. So my pilot club ID is also pilot club uh, 440. So nice. Cool. see me around with that number. Of course, uh, Serge, I know you're out there with pilot club 6, and uh, you'll see me out there, of course, as SBR1. What, uh, what do you have to say to the listeners there, Serge? What do you want people to know about the pilot well, club? Well, I will... I- yeah, I will say this. I think with sort of the theme of today's discussion to the new pilots uh, joining the hobby, you know, I encourage you guys to to learn, uh, to seek out these uh, resources. Again, joining the pilot club is a good option. There are many others. Uh, we pride ourselves in, in diversity and, and a friendly environment, uh, which, again, makes learning much easier, right, when it's when it's not a kind of threatening, super, super serious environment. We do have serious training in the club with our flight school, but we are friendly, you know. So for new pilots, I would say join the club and and start learning. Learn from members, learn from our training program, and then fly with, with mm-hmm. us on the network. Uh, flying with friends is is better than flying by yourself. Is I what agree with I that, doubt. yeah. Right, uh, and and you can do different events, and, and uh, VATSIM has so many uh, different things that uh, are put on the calendar, and you can you can find just about anything you'd like to explore, and you know, in different places, and uh, just do that, and and have a good time, and enjoy the hobby. This is probably one of the best times to be in the hobby. I'm, I'm sure you guys remember one of the first Sims, and how frustrating and difficult it was. However, it was still exciting, but uh, with the level of uh, the simulators nowadays, it is really, uh, I'm just really excited about uh, being in this hobby. Uh, my wife is not very excited about me being in this hobby. But, yeah, mine's uh, the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, get together with friends, ask questions if you if you have to, and, and echoing Anthony's initial comments is, is the human element, right? Let's be human to each other. We're online, but we're not online. Really, we're we're flying, you know? So thinking of uh, of it in those terms is remembering that behind that keyboard is a human being, uh, I think is a great point that Anthony made, so I'll echo that. Um, and then one quick plug, we are looking for developers. We have a developers team, but we need more. Um, so if anybody's interested in joining the team uh, at the Pilot Club as a developer... Um, we, uh, we'd like to hear from you. Okay, great. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, really appreciate you coming out and, uh, hopefully you'll come back on and we'll have a good time, huh? This was great. Sounds uh, good I to me. It. Okay, good. Sounds good. Um, KT, Sky Blue Radio sounds yeah. great at any altitude. We'll could close it out with a little south side, Johnny. And, uh, yeah, here we go.
Picture in the ice box. The popcorn's on the table. 